welcome to the Move With Love podcast. I'm your host, Bree Johnson of Heart and Bones Yoga. This podcast is a love letter to yoga teachers. It's season two, and we're doing things a little bit different this season because something I've seen in the yoga world is that the same yoga teachers often get seen the most. And well, that's great. There's a lot of yoga teachers out there that don't get to have their voices heard and yet have so much to say and so many important perspectives. And that's what we're highlighting in season two here, talking to everyday yoga teachers that have very specific niches, very unique approaches to teaching yoga so that it can give you, our beautiful listeners, different ways to get inspired about your own teaching, get more confident to stand up as who you are, even if it's a little bit different from what the mainstream yoga world is. I cannot wait to introduce you to our beautiful guests for this season. Enjoy. Hi, we're talking to Aisha Nash and we're going to be talking about diet culture and yoga. And because Aisha is a teacher who really focuses on anti-diet yoga. And if you're curious about that, what does that mean? Or you've, it's been something you've been thinking about in your own way of this dominant image of yoga and the intersection between yoga culture and the wellness, and I'm putting wellness in air quotes, the wellness culture and the fitness culture, those are really, they're intersected, they're connected. And Aisha does a great job disrupting that. Hi, Aisha. Hi, lovely. I am in London. It is humid as heck here. It's just so hot. Like my hair starts to resemble like an 80s Vok person because of the humidity at the moment. Oh, the curls. I've it down right now, but it's just going to get bigger. Yeah. Yeah. I think those of us with curl, I think we naturally just, I'm learning to own it and let it be a little more wild. Yeah. <laughs> because there it is. There's the, there's our culture too, right? This, we want smooth, straight, flowy hair or like these, this curated hair and really letting natural hair out, I think is another beautiful disruption of what these industries tell us they should be. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let, why are you so wonderfully and importantly interested in anti-diet culture? Um, firstly, I love your use of the word disruptor there because it makes me really happy. Um, one of the people who's one of my favorite teachers who probably doesn't even know that she's one of my teachers is uh, Jaisal off of um, ABCD Yoga. And the podcast, go listen to yes. it. And she calls herself a disruptor, and I just love it. It makes me happy. It's it's really important in this industry, I find, to take on that space of disrupting the current norms because it's become inaccessible. And it's not really wellness if it's not accessible, because then it's well then who's allowed to be well who's allowed to seek wellness and for that not to be a right for every human is very upsetting and just wrong and let, what a beautiful place to start in a way what a beautiful place to distill what's important because especially the rhetoric around yoga too is 
yoga is for everyone. Everyone should do yoga. And well, sure, but do they? And if not, what's stopping them? And yeah, when we look at those bigger pictures of, well, why doesn't everybody have access to wellness? That's not just, it's not like that is definitely an economical, it's a political, it's a, it's, it's bigger than that. And yoga is not immune from these structures and these systems. So talk more about that, because I think that's something that I think a lot of yoga teachers, generally speaking in our enthusiasm to share something that's really helped us, I want to teach everybody but we kind of don't end up teaching everybody. Exactly that. Um, the intersections of wellness and yoga, as much as I completely understand, and as a yoga teacher, I do want to go up to absolutely everybody and go, have you tried it? It's really good. Um, it's not accessible because not everybody has that quote-unquote yoga studio right down the right down the road from them but even then on a even if they had the money to afford the classes maybe they have kids that they'd have to deal with childcare costs maybe the road itself is not safe to walk down maybe they don't have the clothes that would make it you know okay for them to go in i don't know about you but for a lot of people, when I've spoken to them going, have you tried yoga? They go, well, like, I, I can't fit in the leggings. And while me as a yoga teacher, while my brain goes, oh no, honey, I, I can't blame people for thinking that when that is all that they are shown on TV, media, that it is specifically, you know, a, a very specific outfit even that they have to wear to be able to access these spaces on top of that there's disability um i myself am neurodivergent i have adhd and th these spaces are inaccessible even for me and the way that my brain works so let's not even discuss like how inaccessible they would be if you are physically disabled as well that loads of yoga studios are built in shop fronts are built in you know that that tiny little just flat above a building so there's endless amounts of stairs or even just pavements that you have to think about before you can get even into the space it's big it's huge and there i think there's so much in reference to what you're saying is there's so much of that programming through culture through as you say in the, these yoga magazines, Instagram, all those fun things, and the but programming of living in an ableist world. It's not even, um, so when I started getting really annoyed at like Instagram and social media and the way that it shows yoga, the, the media showing of yoga is so much more than that. At the moment here in London, we have lots of new build places, lots of new build apartment uh, structures, and they'll advertise it as you'll have access to a yoga studio. You should buy this place because you'll have space outside of your flat that you can go do yoga in. 
and other other learning agents will show people doing yoga as a way to sell an apartment. Yeah, and it's so baffling. So it's it's not just shown as this is the perfect body. It's shown as this is what everybody should be attaining towards this calm yogic personality. And by buying not just the leggings, the t-shirt, the juice, but even the apartment is going to get you there. It's bonkers. Commodification. That is huge. That's um, selling the lifestyle. That really is selling the lifestyle. I want to attain this. So, okay, there's the clincher. I'm going to get this flat because I can go do yoga and attain this sense of peace only through this way. Very interesting. So then how do you notice that that diet culture shows up in yoga in the same way, in that same commodified, something to attain, something to aspire to? Firstly, it is in the majority of yoga teachers you see are not a body type like mine. They're really not. And and this goes so much that when I, I teach at a gym just down the road from me, and when I came in, there was someone with a similar body type of mine. She was asking me how I got the gig because she couldn't understand, not that I could be a decent teacher. She loved me as a teacher, but she didn't understand how anybody involved in the fitness world would hire me based on my body because she'd never seen anybody in a body as a teacher, as a fitness teacher that matched hers. And I, the way I cue is, we'll make space for your body. So I'll be like, you know, if you have a stomach like mine, you're going to move things and do things in, in slightly different ways. And she goes, no teacher has ever talked about that. And I have other teachers, uh, other students who will be like, no teachers ever taught us how to like wriggle our wrists and deal with painful wrists from holding downward facing dog, but you do this because, and I responded with, well, everybody lives in a body and everybody has all of these things going on. So we have to accommodate for it. It's not enough to put our heads in the sand and pretend that it's not there because then students will lose the love for yoga. If you keep going to something and it hurts you, you're not really gonna keep going. And then there's the hurt, that's the physical side of it. And then I don't think it's talked about enough of the emotional and the fitting inside of it. Because what you're saying, that beautiful example of that person when she was talking to you, there's that unconscious then story of, well, it kind of hurts when I don't see myself reflected as teachers or as a teach in, in a teacher, it hurts when I don't see myself reflected in popular culture. And many people I would make assumptions as they, I don't know if they consciously recognize that hurt until they see something different until, as you say, you show up in a class and offer different kind of cues and people go, and this is what I kind of feel sometimes when it, when it feels like, oh, right. The nervous system goes, Oh, 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 it can be this way. Oh, right. Like that is ridiculously powerful. So what other ways do you as a teacher 
show up to disrupt that? Because ultimately what you're saying is you walk into a classroom and you disrupt the yoga industry just by being yourself, which is amazing and beautiful. And I want to say, fuck yeah. (laughs) So tell us more about that. Um, Weirdly, even though India uh, yoga is South Asian, I disrupt it by being South Asian and being in these spaces because primarily it's not really for me. It's not really accepting of me. And it really isn't here in London in London like they'll they'll try and they'll change especially in the past year they'll change the ethnic wallpaper of the teachers but they won't change through management so primarily what they're doing is they're introducing more people into a space of pain and giving them more trauma Uh, the other ways that I disrupt is I don't talk about losing weight I don't talk about it like it is the pinnacle of what you should be doing as a human, because I do not believe that. And I think that a life living is so much more than the size of your waist or what you weigh on a scale. And I make this apparent in every single class that I attend. And honestly, this this thinking comes from what I've seen in my family, but also in my husband's family. Like my, my mother-in-law is 70-ish. And only now, because of lots of me bugging her and her having tasted what I cook, she's now buying butter. She's 70. She's a widow. And only now have I been able to convince her to buy butter and to eat butter. And even then, she'll still buy the lightest packet because she still wants to be small, but you know, it's small steps. And I think at the end of the day, when either you pass away or when you're on your deathbed, you're not gonna be thinking, oh, I'm so glad that I didn't eat that slice of cake. And the people who you know are at your funeral speaking about you, they're not gonna be, oh my God, I really loved her. She was so thin. Like you're laughing as you hear me say that, but it's true. And we, we never, we never speak about people denying taking in oxygen or denying drinking liquid or peeing. But there's this whole other thing that we have to do to exist as humans that evolutionarily we have to do. And yet we've come to this point in life where it's, are you sure you're hungry? Have you tried a glass of water? Maybe that will help you instead, which is just blood boilingly irrational. Yes, yes, yes. And then you're making me think, so when you said that right away, I go into some of my own personal stereotypes of what a yoga teacher is. And I know there's people that assume, oh, you're a yoga teacher, you must be vegan, or I'm a yoga teacher now, and now I should be vegan or vegetarian, or don't ever eat sugar, or I got to do these cleanses. And there's this, like, there's this, it's, I think, very telling that there's a lifestyle associated with teaching yoga. It's that sense of, well, am I doing it because I want to fit in as a yoga person? is because this is what has been sold to me as an image of to belong as a teacher, 
or to fit in, then I need to adopt these certain habits. And you make some amazing points. I am going to chew on that commodity. Like that is like you, you, you just spark something beautiful in my brain of, of that difference between if you can't almost like it's a good rule here. Like if you can't commodify it, then it's probably good. (laughs) Follow that path. (laughs) If you can commodify it, question ourselves more like, you can't like, and people try to commodify anti-racist work. People try to commodify um, anti all like anything, but you're right. Ultimately, you, if you, uh, anyways, so I just want to highlight that because I, my brain just went ding, 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 ding. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. And it's big. And, and what we're talking about is not simplistic. It's not as simplistic as what we choose to eat or not to eat or what we choose to wear or not wear, but it is all tied in because it does reinforce an identity. And I think maybe that's what we're talking Mm -hmm. about is diet culture and wellness culture and all of these things put, want us to put identities on and are they true for us? Anybody listening, if you like, if you feel like you don't fit into the dominant yoga paradigm, good. Keep showing (laughs) up, show yourself more, stand proudly and boldly as yourself. In your own personal journey, what do you feel has been your, because I almost want to say your biggest struggle, because I also, if I can make an assumption, I bet if I feel anything, our biggest struggles end up being our biggest awakenings too within this. So do you want to talk a little bit about your own progress and journey to be so beautifully, boldly you? That's a long one. Um, I'm going to be completely honest and probably a bit more honest than is expected of yoga teachers. My biggest struggle is keeping a roof over my head while also trying to continually be this bold person that, you know, tells people where to shove it with their, with their commodification of yoga. And it's a tough one because in this current world, you have to be, as a yoga teacher, it's not just that you, or as, as a, it's not just that you go into a space and you teach yoga. You have to be like on brand on social media. You have to be on brand with the way that you dress. You have to remember to go photograph yourself and video yourself here, there and everywhere. You have to wake up and and have this like idea in your head and you're like, oh, that's a great idea. And then you go down a Canva hole trying to like translate it all into words for people. So it's, it's so complicated being this kind of, thing and then every time you have to think about am I going to offend this person am I going to offend that person not as in like being PC but like am I going to get 5,000 trolls after me if I express this opinion so it's just so complicated and as well as that complication we're living in this capitalist society so my biggest struggle at the moment is where is okay Am I okay teaching here? Am I okay teaching in this space that I don't find accessible? Am I okay charging people for classes? Not because I believe yoga should be free, but because I desperately want everyone to have access to a yoga that isn't filled with diet culture. And every single step is, well, am I okay with this? Then combining that with getting used to being a person that speaks out loud as well because i i 
I'm South Asian. I grew up in an Indian household. I, as a woman, am not meant to speak this much. I was not taught to speak this much. I was taught to shut up, sit down and look pretty and do whatever my husband expected me of, you know? I, I was never allowed to be myself growing up and stepping into it now, it's, it's complicated. It's big. It's, it requires a lot of inner work. And I want to touch a little bit upon what you were saying with these kind of lifestyle labels. And I feel deep down that an attachment to a lifestyle label comes from a place of still feeling small and of having not low self-esteem, but being unsure of yourself. And I think within the wellness industry, there are a lot of people that are so unsure of who they are and what they represent and have been told over and over again, you're not right in some way or another. And so they see the label and they go, ah, oh, cool. This is, this, is, this is who I am now. I'm going to base my entire life off of this. And then when the evidence shows maybe basing your entire life off of this wasn't a great idea, instead of going, maybe you're right they'll instead double down because the ego and i hate using that word the ego doesn't want to give up what you've worked on what you've spent you know even a year being you know there's so many times people will get out of long-term relationships and they'll go i can't believe i wasted five years on this and that's the equivalent It's the identity. It's that sense of, and I always go back to one of my favorite quotes, good old Brene Brown, fitting in is the opposite of belonging. And I think that just sums it all up. And what you're saying is there's safety in fitting in. We're wired as social creatures. We want to know that we are part of a group. <laughs> so that's okay. This is inherent. This is okay. But when we have to fit in, right? Be a certain size, be a certain way, wear the right clothes. And oh my goodness, there are so many examples of this and so many subcultures. It's so important to identify that in ourselves because it's normal, but when does it get harmful? And I think that's what you're saying, hey, is that the harm starts when we, when we, when we have to change who we are to fit in rather than belong, where all of us can show up as we are, however we are. And then you're so right with yoga teachers, it's not just standing up in front of a room, teaching people to move or to breathe or talking about philosophy or certain things. It's, it's you also have to do so much. And I wanna go back to what you were saying about a roof over your head, right? It's still, it's a career. It's, it's, it's gotta pay the bills, it's a job. And when you're doing something that doesn't fit in, before we recorded, we were just talking about certain clothing choices that generalized yoga teachers make in social media. And just, you know, if you, if you Google that hashtag yoga, you're going to see what I'm talking about. It's an uphill battle in some ways when you're one of the first, relatively speaking, I'm not going to say you're the first one or you're not going to be the last one, but you're the vanguard in that sense. You're at like in this movement at the beginning of being like, hi, hi, look at me. I teach yoga. I don't look like hashtag yoga. 
but maybe one day it will, you know, <laughs> and that will change. And so I, I don't know, I guess I'm, re I'm reflecting this for anybody that's listening to going, oh, you mean I can be myself? I can show up in my, you know, value village yoga clothes and, and sweatpants or pajamas or whatever it is. And I can be myself or I can be my culture. I can be whatever it is and still teach. And then we're teaching more than we realize. Yeah. And we're giving permission to people when, when we show up as we are, when we show up as the thing that we have unpacked to use your term which i love you, as you grow up you you don't really become this person you kind of unpack who you were before the world told you not to be that but the more we unpack that and the more that we live that the more we give permission to everybody else to be who they were before they were told not to do that or not to be that but at the same time, if when you were a kid, you were a really joyful, hyper kid, and you got told constantly, stop. And now you're just wrapped in this need to not be yourself because of being told constantly not to do that. Honestly, you can be those things now. You can wear the things that would make teen you happy. In fact, I, I would advise that change your entire wardrobe to be something that would make teen use just so incredibly happy. Like that, that's like, that's what I've been doing over the past six months. And it's so joyful. <laughs> what a great practice. I love that. Like what would make teenager you happy now, as we wrap this up, what would be some of your top tips then, or in your experience for yoga teachers, to be mindful of that. Like, I think, first of all, you already gave some amazing tips inherently, which was literally show up as yourself and be different and be okay with that and know that that's not going to fit in and it's fine. But is there more like in terms of more tactile, you know, you're teaching a regular drop-in class, which will have a whole variety of people. How would we make it more inclusive and more mindful of anti-diet culture and anti all the other things? um a couple firstly don't mention calories or weight loss that's not what yoga is about in the first place so there's never really any need to do it um secondly don't mention your diet don't mention what you eat there's no reason for it there's absolutely no reason for it whatsoever if you're on a juice cleanse that's great that serves you that's wonderful don't mention it there's no need for it um try to walk up in clothes that aren't yoga clothes. I sometimes walk up to teach yoga, yoga classes and dresses, mostly because I'll like have a date planned afterwards. And secondly, because I hate wearing yoga clothes. Um, but it shows people that firstly, you can move wearing whatever you want. But secondly, that you're a human outside of the outfit. And what sometimes needs to be reminded to people is that you are a human. You're not a yoga toting robot. You're, you're a human that exists, who has facets of life. Now, the, the general yoga studio you work at may not like that, but then get them used to it. And lastly, if you work any, uh, this is kind of a twofer. If you work anywhere that makes your inner voice go, 
don't work there. Secondly, if you work anywhere where a person of color comes up to you and goes, I wasn't quite okay with the way someone spoke this to me or the way management's acting, believe them. They're not making it up for attention. They really are not. And the fact that they were able to bring that up to you and speak to you about that means that they trust you. So do, do the correct thing there. Those are my tips. Ooh, those are good. And in a way, deserve their own extra conversation because I kind of love, because to me, then it's the process of how do we start to get used to them and the things to say to the yoga studio owner. And I love, can you do a post about that? You should, let me tell you what you should do, but I think that would make an amazing post. If oh, you but I'm terrible about, at that. Like I tried desperately once to make it clear and they didn't. So I shame them on social media. Oh shoot. Maybe I'm maybe I'm not the person. Right. Okay, maybe not, not the yoga studio, but if like a post towards yoga teachers saying, like, mm. hey, it's okay to not wear yoga clothes. Like traditional, of course, don't wear jeans and like you still want it, you still gotta be per, like per, if you're working at a yoga studio, you gotta be professional. And we all have I, I feel like jeans maybe wouldn't be professional, maybe. I don't know. This is something I'm gonna unpack more and more in my brain, actually. I love this. But who says what's professional as a yoga teacher? Right. The thing, the thing is, we're if we explain our job to anyone, they go, oh, that's a nice hobby. What do you do in your full time? So the job is already unprofessional as it is. Why does there need to be a, yes, there needs to be ethics, but why does there need to be an, a need for professionality in it? Oh my goodness. This is, you are opening up a beautiful can of worms. I, uh, you're, oh, I got some good thinking to do. This is, I appreciate this. <laughs> that is an amazing conversation in of itself. What is professional in terms like why, if you can move and stretch in your jeans, if you're wearing stretchy jeans, why can't, oh my goodness. I can do pigeon and skinny jeans. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I show that on social, but I don't, in a way there's an interesting paradigm that beautiful. Thank you for reflecting to that. Now I'm, now I'm going to question everything why do I think that <laughs> I love this so friends everybody who's listening to this this is the inquiry that we're talking about and I love this and let's continue to be open to these questions because it seems kind of innocuous and I think it's one of these questions where it's like no you wear yoga you wear yoga plants because you're a yoga teacher and that's professional but then now as a beautiful example I'm really fully questioning and loving, and I'm going to just keep chewing on this and I don't have any answers, nor should I at this moment, but these are the things that are amazing. And I think this is the beautiful disruption. And I kind of can't wait for another couple of years of this stuff to kind of continue to be out in the world. Aisha, you keep putting your magic out there. Anybody who's listening, who's starting to get fired up and having good questions arise in the same way in your brain, to me, that's an amazing sign of like, Ooh, okay, because we need all of us to continue to move this forward to make change. And I, this is so I think we're ending this on a high note. This is really fun and exciting and so good to talk to you about this and so many more questions. I love ending with more questions. <laughs> Thank you. And now we talked about social media. And so where can people find you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram, the Aisha Nash, or my website, AishaNash.com best place to support what I do is my Patreon. I share short uh, audio meditations, video yoga um, recordings, and I share my tips on how to live in this 
world where the world basically tells you no and you carry on existing anyway. So yeah, come join me there. When the world tells you no and you carry on existing anyways, heck yes. <laughs> oh, beautiful. And you also teach online as well. You've got your yes, online classes. I teach online as well. And all of that information is on the social medias. Yes. And I also will link it with you as you're listening to this, you can link it or I'll see all of the info in the show notes as well. Ah, so wonderful. Uh, Aisha is a graduate of our modern yoga teacher training. And I just, you know, I'm fully selfish about this. And I think it's really makes me quite happy to have you part of our community and coming on here and again, keep disrupting, keep disrupting that shit. We need more of it. You fired me up. I'm going to, I don't know, go friggin' teach some yoga and jeans now and <laughs> take that world. <laughs> and maybe this is the beautiful thing about the world we're in. So many of us are teaching online. Ooh, this may be, you know, like you can actually way easier teach online and talk about disruptive. You log in and your teacher on Zooms and her in his or her their jeans and what? Wait, what? Or like just your baggiest old man kind of pajamas. I think that would be amazing. Okay. So let's thank you so much for being here. Uh, everybody go follow her, follow Aisha. She's amazing. And thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening and asking questions with me. <laughs> You're welcome. Talk about moving with love and if you'd love to move with love with us in our global community of yoga teachers, join us for our fourth online Heart and Bones Modern Yoga Teacher Training course. It's a combination of 200 and 300 hours. So we welcome brand new teachers and we welcome experienced teachers because what we teach in this teacher training is so big. It's so beautiful. Applied anatomy for yoga. And a lot of this heart work of disrupting dominant yoga paradigms, looking at the history, the decolonization of yoga, and really to gaining confidence. There's so much. Go check it out at heartandbonesyoga.com courses. And we'd love to have you join us for this next round of the teacher training. And you can be part of our beautiful community. The training happens in October 2021.